Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com and pick the giving option that works best for you and help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. Okay, so guys, uh, tonight it's going to be really important. I always think it's important to take notes because you retain a lot more information that you actually write down and take notes with. So if you didn't bring something to take notes on or take notes with, we're going to pass yellow notebooks down the rows. Just take off as many pieces of paper as you need. Um, And then she's got pens there too. So if you need a pen, if you'll get that. Tonight's really, really practical, and but for you to be able to apply it, you're probably going to have to write it down and take it with you and have it with you. I hope last, I hope that you guys enjoyed last week, uh, you know, to really dive into and understand the spirit of rebellion and the spirit of rejection and how it turns can turn into a spirit of bitterness, how those work together. It's been really cool, you know, this is Spiritual Warfare 2.0. I hope that you guys have gotten a lot of deliverance over the last four weeks uh, that we've been together, uh, and we've done it as a group, which is really cool. You guys are just like middle schoolers. As long as something else is going on, they can't focus. <laughs> Anybody need pens? Just raise your hand. I know that it's these, it's the problem children up front that are. Okay. You're ready for this. Also know that if you guys are, are you miss a week, we do have these sessions on podcast. We also have them on you version and as well as the notes on you version. So you can go back and you can get the notes. Um, if you'll do that, um, you can definitely take advantage of that as well. Yes. Joe, how do you find it on you version? Okay, you bet. Isn't that cool? We're high tech. At least Joe's high tech and he pulls us along. That's what happens. Okay, so for me growing up, I would sit in Sunday school class and I would go through my youth services and I would always hear this scripture that says, submit yourself then to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's James 4, 7. And I, and I always remember, you know, going to my parents like, you know, I am struggle. if you struggle with temptation, what do you do? Well, the Bible says you resist the devil. You resist the devil. You resist the devil. And it seems like we've always, and we've discussed this before, that we forget the first part of that scripture. But I don't know that I ever had anybody really unpack what that scripture means. It's easy to read, read it. It's very easy to agree with it. But what does it look like to submit yourself to God? And what does it look like to really resist the, the devil? Now, if we unpack this scripture, obviously the first thing that we need to look at is that submission part. 
Because when you go through deliverance, sometimes I think we think as we do that, okay, this is going to fix all my problems. It's going to make me so much stronger. It's gonna, and it's going to fix a lot of your problems. And it is going to make you a lot stronger. But if you don't have the tools to handle the temptation when it comes, you will still fail. The fight is different. The fight should be easier after you go through deliverance. But we want to try to be as successful as we can possibly be in our personal walk with the Lord and as successful as we can possibly be against the devil. And that's what tonight is all about, is really applying this verse to our life and and unpackaging it, breaking it down, and looking at really what this verse means and how it can really help us. Well, first, we must submit. But I remember thinking to myself growing up, what's that mean? Submit. Okay, I'm going to submit to God. I guess that means I'm going to kind of do what he says. Really, what does that look like? And what does that look like on a a daily basis? Well, to submit, we've got to walk in humility. That's why we talked the first week about the danger of the sin of pride. We also talked about the fact that on a daily basis, we need to put on the clothing or clothe us, Lord God, with humility. I hope you've been praying that. I hope that you have added that today at your daily prayer life. Remember, don't ask for God to humble you. Ask that God would clothe you in humility. And it's amazing what that does with that sin of pride in your life. And that sin of pride we know can take you down and it can lead to all other kinds of sins. So we walk in humility. That's the first part of submission. Number two, we seek God's will for life and situations. Man, we seek his will for everything, the big things and the little things. On a daily basis, I'm like, God, bind me to your will, bind me to your wisdom, and bind me to your truth. You gotta have this. And that's in my daily prayer life. But we've got to make sure that even with the little decisions, we're like, hey, God, what should I do with this? Hey, God, how should I handle this? A few weeks ago, there was a weekend message where we talked about asking God for permission. That is seeking his will. And there's times when, you know, we need to pray for our life, in our life. God, be a lamp unto my feet that I would, med- I would take the steps. That means guide my footsteps that I would not be walking around in the dark. So seeking him keeps us submitted to him. Seeking his will in our life and in every situation. Here's another way we submit is worshiping him. And I'm not just talking about Sunday. I'm not just talking about Wednesday night. I'm talking about worshiping him because worship gives him worth. It shows him worth. When was the last time you were really tempted with something and your first response was to turn worship on and start worshiping God? Uh, Never, never done that, (laughs) right? We don't, we don't think about that. But if we're gonna submit, one of the greatest ways we can show submission to God is to worship. And it's kind of this double-edged sword against the enemy because most worship is scripture being sung to God. And scripture is the sword of the spirit. It's our only offensive weapon against the devil. So what we're doing there is we're using scripture against the devil and we're submitting to God, which is like this double-edged sword that goes against the enemy. So man, the next time it happens, try that. Next time you're tempted, flip on, you know, whether it's, uh, I made this joke last night, don't, don't flip on K-Love, because that'll probably get you just, you know, well, we've got a bunch of K-Love listeners in here, I guess. <laughs> Did you know there's a difference between Christian contemporary music and worship music? There's a difference. There's a difference. Christian worship, for the most part, is, that's the offensive we- weapon against the enemy. Christian contemporary music is, you know, usually has a nice message in it, but it's definitely not warfare music. I I don't believe in particular. So 
get a good mix of music on your iPod, iPhone, whatever MP3 style player you have, or um, Spotify. And, and you, you know what, even, you know, you, well, the way you can do that with your, uh, with media players is you can just label it, my, battle music, warfare music, whatever you need to do. And man, you hit that and let that worship come up. And it is amazing how that temptation will melt away. So worshiping him, not just on the weekends. Now, corporate worship is important because we come together as a body of believers. But we can't, you can't just come up here anytime and have Amanda and Julie and the entire band all lead us in worship. You can't call and say, I'm really being tempted right now. Could you throw on a worship service for me? But you have that ability uh, uh, with technology to be able to do that within your own home. Uh, Amelie makes sure that this, on, on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, that this room has worship music playing in it over and over and over and over and over again for, to, to cultivate a spiritual atmosphere. Not K-Love, not yabba dabba do ya and all that kind of stuff, but Christian worship. Sorry, I, if you support K-Love, that's, I'm, I shouldn't make fun, but I just did. Um, <laughs> Another part of submission is prayer, right? That's a simple one. When you pray to him, when you're asking him for help, that is, that is submitting. The next time you're tempted, pray and ask God for help. That should be an obvious one. Here's another one, serving him. If you serve him, you're submitting to him. The next one is giving. If you give to him, you are submitting to him. You are being tempted with your finances. When you give to him first, the temptation should be easier. Your, 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 where your heart is, there so is your treasure. Vice versa. There where your treasure is, there so is your heart. Okay, so giving, wow, that, that's, one, that's one of our highest forms of submission because we're obeying God, which is the next, and that's obeying, obeying him. Obey his word and his leading. If you're not reading your Bible every day, how do you know what to obey? Sometimes people go, well, God doesn't talk to me. God spoke to you in this massive best-selling book over and over again, and he continues to speak to you. And it's not just these dead words on a page. It is the living word. And how many, I can't, I've lost count of how many times I've read the Bible. And every time I read it, God speaks something new to me. And sometimes he repeats himself because I need him too. But man, you got to obey him. So that's unpackaging it. And we see this in David's life. When David screwed up with Bathsheba, I mean, it was like the low point of his life. We read what he said. One of the cool things about scripture in David's life is not only do you read about him historically in First and Second Samuel, but you read about his thoughts and his prayers and his worship in Psalms. And after he messes up in Psalms 51, I love this scripture. It's one of my favorites. Psalms 51, 7, he says, he's the, understand, he's, he's broken. He's, he's asking for forgiveness. He says, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You've broken me. Now let me rejoice. Have you ever felt like the devil has stolen your joy because of your choices? I mean, that's what week two was about, right? About being broken, about being submissive to God, about coming back underneath his cover. And this is what, what David is saying. He'd gone months and months without repenting. And as a result of that, he had no joy anymore. 
And here he's coming clean and he's saying, give me my joy back, God. And verse nine says, don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. And I love that. That's what guilt feels like is just this nasty stain that you can't wash out of your clothes. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. You fall far enough away from God for long enough and it feels like you just got a dirty spirit. Like you just, you don't even like yourself. You ever been that way? I don't even like myself anymore. <laughs> we've, we've all been there. And he's saying, renew a right spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, the reason he says this is because he saw somebody that lost the Holy Spirit and he saw what it did to him. He used to have to play music for him to soothe him, to soothe his soul. Because after the Holy Spirit left Saul, the demons were just allowed to just mess with him all the time. He knew what that looked like and he's begging God. Now understand in the Old Testament, most of you understand this, only certain people have the Holy Spirit in their lives. We have such a privilege and we're so spoiled. We don't get it sometimes that when we're saved, we get the Holy Spirit within us. We don't have to go to some tabernacle or temple to feel God's presence. The Holy Spirit is with us always. And David is saying, please don't take that from me. Please don't do to me what you did to Saul. Even though he deserved it, that's what he was praying. Can you imagine experiencing all you've experienced and have the Holy Spirit fill you and have God take that away? What that would feel like? You don't even want to imagine it. Verse 12, restore to me again the joy of your salvation. And what he's doing, you get to a point in your walk with God when you fall and when you mess up, you start looking back and looking fondly on your life with God early on. Like, oh man, I just wish I felt the way I did when I first got saved. I was seven years old when I first got saved. I still remember it. I still remember how I felt. I still, for the first time, I understood forgiveness. And I remember going to a football game that night to watch my brother play. And I remember just being so happy and so joyful that God had forgiven my sins. As a seven-year-old, I was just carrying around all of this guilt and shame for stupid things that seven-year-olds do. I felt bad. I felt horrible about myself. And I felt that joy. And, and that's what David is saying. Man, bring back to me again the joy of my salvation. When I was first saved, it's that first love experience is what he's asking for. The scripture also says, and make me willing to obey you. I love that. It's okay to pray, God, make me willing to obey because in the heat of the moment, when you're tempted the most, you don't want to. It's okay to admit that. Right? Or am I the only heathen? <laughs> Just me. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> David is saying, look, I, I am so messed up. I've been so twisted. I need your help to even be willing to obey. And David knew the consequences of his sin. And yet he still knew that he needed God's help to obey. And it's okay to do that. When you get in the heat of the moment and you're being tempted the most and you're getting ready to buy into that sin for you to say, God, help me to want to obey you because I don't want to right now. That's how, so that's how, uh, how much we should need God in our lives. And God's okay. God knows you don't want to. He knows you don't want to obey. You're not going to shock him. He's not going to look at you and go, you little sinner. 
I can't even believe you don't want to obey me. He's not going to do that. He understands. So it's okay to just say, God, give me that strength. Then he says, then I will teach your ways to sinners and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Remember, committed adultery. He killed somebody. He lied about it. He covered it up. O God who saves, then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that I may praise you. If you go long enough in a sinful state, you won't even want to worship God. David didn't. This is the guy that wrote the majority of the Psalms. Didn't even want to obey God. And he didn't want to praise God anymore because he had, that, had so much sin in his life that was, uh, it was not confessed. Um, then I love this. Um, you would not be pleased with sacrifices or I would bring them. We play this game when we mess up and we think, okay, well, I've messed up. So I need to do these things right to get back in God's goodwill. We, right, we play that game with ourselves. And, and in this scripture, he's saying, you wouldn't be pleased with sacrifices if I brought them to you. Or I'd bring them. If I brought you a burnt offering, you'd not accept it. Then he says, verse 17, the sacrifice you want is a broken spirit, a broken and repentant heart, which is what we talked about week two. Oh God, you will not despise that. So he wants our brokenness. He wants, he wants man, when we mess up, this is the kind of response he wants to see. So the, those are all things that are submission. And it's something that we need to do on a daily basis, not once a week, but every day. So that's submission. Now resist, okay? Resist. I remember reading that and going, okay, resist, resist, resist. That's constipation. That's not resistance. <laughs> How do we resist? How do we resist? Because, hey, here's the thing. We, we're, we're supposed to, but we got to know what it looks like. Where do you start the resistance? The resistance has to start in your mind. Okay? That's where it all starts. James 1.13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. He doesn't literally drag you away. I've never seen anybody literally drug away by Satan. Never seen that. Satan drags, drags your thoughts away. Doesn't drag your body away, drags your thoughts away. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So where do the evil desires reside? In our mind. All starts right here. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. Or on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the, the knowledge of God. And we take captive... Every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So part of the resistance is taking thoughts captive. I've heard that scripture forever, right? Well, I'm struggling with my thought life. Well, take the thought captive. Well, how do you do that? I mean, really? You can't get on my own head. I can't get on my own brain and chase the thought around and try to lasso it. I don't, I, don't need, I don't get that. I don't understand that. So how do we take a thought captive? Well, the first thing is you got to expose it to the truth. If it's planted in your mind by the enemy, 
It's a lie, and you got to expose it to the, tr- to, to, the, to the truth. Secondly, you got to tear down the stronghold. The stronghold is the lie. The devil hides mind. We're going to unpack those two more in just a second. And then you choose to think about Philippians 4.8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So let me give you an application for this. Let's say you struggle with the spirit of fear. Man, you, you're fearful, you're afraid, you worry, you fret, and it's something that maybe is generational. You've seen it come down in your, in your mom's life. You've seen it in your grandmother's life, whatever. But you struggle with the spirit of fear. So the first thing we do is we expose it to the truth. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So you took the lie, you exposed it to the truth. So as a Christian, I'm not supposed to have a spirit of fear, devil, but I'm supposed to have a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. And maybe you pull out more than one scripture. You ever thought about that? I guarantee you the last time you were tempted, you didn't run to the Bible and start looking for scriptures to fight the battle. You didn't. I mean, maybe you did, but that's why most Christians get their butts kicked because we don't use the sword of the spirit. We run to everything else first before we run to scripture. So we've got to expose whatever that lie is, whatever that temptation is to the truth. Devil, I, don't, I am not going to accept this fear because the scripture says that God didn't give me a spirit of fear. I'm not going to because he says I, I should have a mind that is filled with power, love, and self-discipline. That's using that sword of the spirit against the enemy. So that's the first thing. We expose it to the truth. Then, man, if you're, if you're fearful, then we tear down the stronghold that is telling me that I should be fearful in Jesus' name. The stronghold is not a demon. The stronghold is the lie the demon, that the devil's hiding behind. So in that situation, we say, in Jesus' name, we take this thought of fear about my finances, my future, my kids, whatever it is, and tear that stronghold down in Jesus' name. Demolish it. The scripture says, God has the power, you have the power to demolish strongholds. You can demolish the lies. When was the last time you were tempted that you ran to scripture, and then right after that you said, now take that thought and demolish it in Jesus' name? Most of us have never done that. We've never done it. That's why we're getting our tails kicked, Right? Then we choose to think about something else. Choose to think about something positive. Instead of immersing ourselves in our addiction or in our weakness, we redirect our thoughts to something positive. This is the cap, taking the thought captive. So what do, we, what do we think about? Well, the scripture says whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. And I have quoted that scripture in the middle of temptation before. And you know what? It didn't work because all I was doing was thinking about a verse that said to do those things instead of doing those things. So what do we think about? How about thinking about an awesome vacation that you've had in the past? Go get a photo album and pull it out and think about this incredible vacation that you took with your family. Or think about the vacation you're getting ready to take. 
Those are things that are, that are good, right? They're, they're noble, they're right, they're pure, they're lovely. And literally thinking about, man, remember that time? And man, we were on the beach and oh gosh, that was so cool with the kids and we were on those water slides. And, and before you know it, the, your mindset completely changes from that sinful activity to something that is positive. Good memories, Read a book that's just really, really been feeding you in a good way. Watch something, a funny movie or watch a funny episode or something or whatever you need to do to redirect your thoughts. And for everybody, it's, it's different. For some people, we can immerse ourselves in a hobby. For some people, we can, we can go on a walk. I guarantee you the last time you were tempted, you didn't pray you didn't tear down a stronghold and you didn't really choose to think about something else. And that's why you fell into temptation. We've never unpackaged it before. Even though the scripture says this, we've read it and thought it was enough. We've never applied it. And it works. So not only these things, but we need to set ourselves up for success. Okay, that unpackages those scriptures but how can we make sure that we're as successful as we possibly can be? Well, first of all, we got to watch our idle time. Is that old saying idle hands or the devil's workshop? It's not scripture, but it should be. (laughs) Don't get bored. Let me tell you something. Tim Roseberry bored is dangerous. You get bored, you get stupid. You get bored, you do stupid things. And that's for guys and girls. Guys, you get bored, you're going to run and do things that you shouldn't do. Girls, you're going to do the same. Guys, you may run to porn or alcohol or doing something that you shouldn't be doing. Girls, you may run to shopping or to food and understand that those don't necessarily fall just by gender. They can be either one. You can cross over. But you get bored, you get dangerous. Stay productively busy. Most guys need projects. Most girls need hobbies. But you know what? We probably, whether male or female, need both. Positive distractions positive distractions. Hey, start a business on the side. You can start all kinds of businesses on eBay, on Craigslist, and, and, and fill that time. I mean, and don't go overboard like me. Because I'm so choleric, I tend to start something and then I want to build it into an empire. <laughs> Instead of just having a nice little productive project, I want to turn it into something huge, right? So, so even projects, if you're not careful, can, can turn against you. you. That can become something in your life that's not a positive distraction. Um, get more involved with a lifetime sport. You know, what can you do maybe with your spouse? If, if you're being tempted to do things that you normally would not be tempted to do with your spouse, then do lifetime sports with your spouse, Take up tennis or pickleball or have you ever played pickleball? That's, that's fun. That's a blast. Um, there's a, there, we just did a trap shoot 
in uh, a few weeks ago. The Trap Club here in town is $40 a year to be a member. And you get to go out and blow stuff up. That's guy. There's not a guy in here that wouldn't want to do that. So find something that you can do that's, that's productive. That's, and you get tempted. Or you, you always get tempted when you're bored. You're, when you are busy and when you're sweating your tail off in the middle of a project, you don't get tempted to go do something stupid. Have you ever been tempted when you were busy productively? Never. You're always tempted when you're bored. Always tempted when you're bored. Don't have anything to do at all in the office. You're on the computer. You start clicking on things you shouldn't be looking at. You get bored. You start looking at catalogs of things you could order. I wasn't trying to say that that girls do that by my voice. I was saying that that was... Like I said, don't trade one vice for another. Lust for being a workaholic, that doesn't, that's not a good trade. Don't get addicted to whatever God gives you as a hobby or a lifetime sport. But watch that idle time. Now, I want you to think about something right now that you could do that would fill your idle time. Something that's probably you've been wanting to do. It's okay to invest in that. Maybe you've wanted to start hunting. Maybe you've wanted to start building models. Maybe you've wanted to start a, a collection of some kind. Maybe you, you know, whether it's, it's comic books or you want to do, uh, you want to, um, what's the thing? Scrapbook or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is, find something that you enjoy that can take up that idle time. And television is usually not the best idle time activity. Almost always is not. Okay? Think of what it is. I'm going to give you a second. What can you do? And maybe you have three or four things that you already do. Are you thinking? Dallas Willard says, carve out a life that is so attractive that sin loses its appeal. Love that quote. Carve out a life that is so attractive that sin loses its appeal. This is what Joseph did. So Joseph was in Egypt in a foreign land. And understand, a lot of times we blame where we're at because of our baggage. Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers. So the dude had a little bit of baggage. He gets set up in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife comes on to him, wants, her, wants him to have sex with her. And his response was, why would I want to trade the blessings in my life that God has given me for you? Why would we want to trade anything that God has given us for some escapism form of sin? And everybody's got them, guys. Everybody has that sin that we run to when we get tired, stressed, or bored. That's when we're the most vulnerable. Tired, stressed, or bored. So watch your idle time. Number two, be careful who you hang with. If you hang with morons, you're going to do moronic things. 
Some of you have morons for friends. This is, this is my interpretation of that. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good characters. Bad company corrupts good character. If you hang with morons, you will do moronic things. So evaluate your friendships. You always can tell if you have good friendships by the fruits of your relationship. If when you're with somebody, you do positive things and you feel positive and man, time flies and man, you just can't wait till the next time you get together. That's a good relationship. If you get into a relationship and bad fruits come from the relationship, you need to find new friends. And it's hard to cut people out of your life sometimes that have been there forever. But friends will bring you down. Evaluate your time with family. Just because they're family doesn't mean you need to spend a lot of time with them. It's hard when you have to cut family out of your life, especially when it's immediate family. But I think everybody in this room has had to do that from time to time. Or you know what? You at least know you need to. So watch who you're hanging with. That will set you up for success. Positive people bring out positive fruits. Number three, guard your five senses. Guard your sight, your touch, what you hear, what you smell, what you taste. The devil wants to infiltrate your life and he loves to do so using your senses. Those are our receptors. That's how we receive things. With your sight, this one's easy, right? We get this. Watching something that we shouldn't watch. Scary movies, erotic images, traumatic scenes. Those are things that we have to be careful of. And if you're susceptible to some things in your life, if you've been hurt maybe through an adulterous relationship, don't watch movies about adultery. If if you're abandoned at a young age, don't watch kidnapping movies. There's certain things that are going to sear you that might not bother anybody else. So watch what you see. Touch. Touching something you shouldn't or someone touching you in a way that they shouldn't can spark lust and spark unholy passion. Many times affairs are started this way because touch can reveal an unmet need. That's why in our marriage seminars, we talk about meet each other's needs. If you meet each other's needs, you will not send your spouse out into the world hungry. It's so important. So be careful with touch. Be careful with what you hear. The things that we hear can start the sin of gossip or be used to miscommunicate a hurt or a rejection. Here's another sense, the sense of smell. Your sense of smell can conjure up memories. Some are good, but some can be bad. Let me give you an example of this. Some people walk into a gym to watch a wrestling mat, a, re, a, a wrestling match, and they smell the gym, they smell the mats, and it brings back all these awesome memories of being in wrestling. For others, they walk in and they smell that and they think about uh, the abuse of a coach. And so it just brings up all kinds of horrible memories of rejection and hurt. So we have to be careful of those things. Be careful of the things that you taste, overindulging in things that you like to eat. Your senses are receptors, and we have to be very careful with what we receive. Number four, stay away from triggers. 
Not like NRA triggers, okay? Those are good things. I'm so Republican, it's just scary. <laughs> Stay away from triggers. Triggers can be anything that has the tendency to send you down the wrong path. I'll give you some examples of that. Certain websites, certain foods, certain drinks, certain books or magazines. Alcoholics will tell you that there's a certain time of the day that is a trigger for, for them. And it's usually when they would start to drink, 536. And so every day that they're sober and that hour comes around, it, temptation can come with it, as well as rages. A lot of times people that have been addicts before will, will go through uh, anger and rage during those times because they're, they're, they're fighting it so badly. Um, the best way to stay away from triggers is start new traditions. So replace whatever that trigger is with something else. Now, I want you to identify those right now in your life. Think about anything that can trigger you to fall into whatever your hot button sin is. <laughs> yeah, you only have a few minutes, so you might only be able to write 15. <laughs> What are your triggers? Certain music, certain books, certain TV shows, times of the day. Might be when you're alone. might be a holiday. You lost a loved one around Christmas. Christmas comes around. All you can do is think about that loved one and it sends you into a, just a spiral of depression. So what do you do with those? How do you, how do you change them? You change them by starting new traditions. You change them from staying away from that particular trigger. So I was counseling with a bulimic one time, and she told me that uh, pepperoni pizza, if she starts eating pepperoni pizza, it just brings her back to the time of binging and purging, and it, it's just too hard. So she, she just stays away from pepperoni pizza. That can be a trigger. So when it comes, let's say it's a, it's a holiday or it's an hour of the day or whatever, start a new tradition that changes things. So I lost my dad on January 1st, on New Year's Day in 2012. So that's, that sucks, right? It sucks to lose somebody you love on a holiday because that holiday is remembered every day. I don't remember his birthday. It'll come and go, but I remember the day I got the call. And so... January 1st for me cannot be what January 1st was. We have, have to make new traditions. Make, do a movie marathon at Regal. Do three, two or three movies in a day as a family. Yeah, I've, I've done that before. Uh, you know, go out of town on that day. Uh, make it to where, you know, you do a specific restaurant on that day. Whatever it is, it's not going to send you into a spiral of depression or abnormal mourning. Okay. Start new traditions. Stay away from those triggers. And here, finally, serve. When you serve God, 
By serving others, it takes the focus off of you. When you help somebody that's hurting, it gives you a new perspective on really where you're at. 90% of the people in this world would love to trade problems with you right now. When you're serving others, you can't focus on yourself. It's harder to sin and mess up if you're spending time serving God. Man, teaching and having to prepare for services is a great accountability partner for me. Because I do not want to get up in in, in front of, of you and get up before the Lord and try to teach if I know that I did something horrible the night before. And I tried to bury the body good, but I'm somebody, afraid somebody's going to find it. <laughs> Whatever it is. And sometimes we beat ourselves up for things that other people would go, really? Come on, get over it. But still, when you know you have to serve God and you're reliant on him, because the thing is, I, I can't teach. I can't do it. The only way I can do it is with the Holy Spirit speaking through me. When I was growing up, my biggest fear was public speaking. Biggest fear. Scared me to death. First time I ever did it, I remember I was like in middle school and I was supposed to get up and just in front of my class and introduce some movie that the church was sponsoring in the theater. And I blubbered all over myself and I ran out of the room crying. I mean, it was horrible. I remember, I know, poor me. So, and I remember sitting in church, looking at the pastor every week going, oh my gosh, if I had to do that on a weekly basis, I, that, would be, that would be my worst nightmare. I remember thinking that. So it was not just like, it didn't come natural for me. I had to work at it. But most of all, I had to really realize, I mean, I do not get up in front of anybody and speak until I've been on my knees asking God to fill me with his spirit and giving me that gift or I couldn't do it. So service is this great accountability partner. And what I've learned, and this is another quote that I just have held on through through the years, is I need ministry more than ministry needs me. Yep. You, you need ministry more than it needs you. And the great thing about it is, is that it takes the fo- not only takes the focus off of yourself, but what you're doing has eternal significance talk to people all the time. They're like, oh, I just don't, I'm not really happy with my job. And I just, man, I just, and I just don't feel very fulfilled there. And I just wish that I was, you know, I could do something that was more fulfilling. And I always tell them the job for most people, that's a paycheck. That's what pays your bills. You're going to get fulfillment from serving God in some way. So figure out how to do that. Man, if it's pouring into a little life, if it's, I, I, last week I went in, uh, in, in the three-year-old class and I just sat down with the kids and just played with them a little bit, read them a story. And there's one kid in particular that's like way out of control, like, oh. And I know these teachers every week have to deal with this little guy. And so I was like, you know what? This week, I'm going to deal with him. I'll just deal with him and I'll just love him. And I didn't go in and like smack him around or anything. I just, I just went in and I loved him. And you know what? When you do that, it takes all of your focus off of you. 
And you never know. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people you actually really impacted. Never know. So serve him. Okay, so as you look back over your notes tonight, there's definitely some things that we need to work on. And I want you to carry that piece of paper around. And the next time you're tempted, go, okay, uh, I got to submit first. Okay. Oh, I forgot to clothe myself with humility. Lord, pray right now in Jesus' name that you would just clothe me with humility. And I haven't been seeking you, Lord, so I, I need to, man, I need to get back in your will. And you know what? Worship, worship. Okay, worship. I, Spotify, let me, get my, let me get my battle music on. And, and by the time you get to point three, you've forgotten what you're even being tempted with. But we've got to be intentional when it comes to submitting to God and resisting the devil. Then he will flee. Then he will flee. He's not going to just flee if you don't do the first two things first. But when you stay diligent with that, it's amazing. It's amazing the battle that will happen and how he will flee. Okay, any questions about anything we covered tonight? Yes. The Dallas Willard, Dallas Willard quote. Yeah, carve out a life that's so attractive that sin loses its appeal. You bet. Yes. So you choose to think about, and I always, I love the scripture that's Philippians 4.8. So you got to choose to think about something positive. Okay, is that, that it? Yeah, choose to think about something positive, and it's Philippians 4.8 is what that manifests or looks like. You bet. Okay, so next week we're going to talk about power of life and death is in the tongue. And then the following week is if you feel yourself starting to slip, if you feel yourself starting to lose ground, what do you do, okay? And I really think that what's gonna happen with this course is it's gonna turn into a prerequisite for second deliverance. So if you've gone through deliverance once and you wanna come back, like th do this first. Because I think that we can actually catch a lot of stuff ourselves with the Lord without having to go back, you know, through, through a formal deliverance. Um, I know for me, like just teaching it has really, really blessed me, and I hope, hope that it's helped you. Uh, hope it's helped you spiritually. So let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you so much uh, for even giving us guidelines of what to do. And Lord, forgive us that we've read these scriptures for years, but we've never really unpacked them and applied them. And I pray, Lord God, that you help us to be able to do that. We want to walk as righteously as we can for you, and we want to be as Christ-like as we can possibly be. So I pray that when it hits, when the devil comes against us, that we would submit to you, we'd come under your cover and do it in a beautiful way and that we would really resist. And Lord, we know, we know we don't resist. We know that we give in when we give in and we give in. Help us to want to resist. Help us to want to obey. And Lord God, we know if we do those two things, you, you keep your promises, God. And your word says the devil will flee that word doesn't mean that he'll just walk off. 
That doesn't mean that he's just going to mope away. Lord, that means that he's got, he has to run from us. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us just to keep that picture in our mind. That we would fight the good fight. That we'd finish the race. Protect us as we go from this place and bring us back together this weekend. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, God bless you. Got out a little bit early. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 9, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In fact, you can do that right now. I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me if you haven't already done so. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are the Lord and that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. And thank you, God, for that fact. I ask that you now be my savior to guide my life and give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. If you prayed this prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer for any reason, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or on the web at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next week.